That's it. It's good to see you, Christy. She gets married yesterday and is worshiped this morning. That's great. Take God's word during the Luke 7. We're going to look at a very short story. For those that are new with us watching online or here this morning, back in July, we had Piercing Word come in and share a series of parables. And they gave me the script way back in January, so we decided to do the series to take them and break them down and make that our series for this fall. I said last week that I encourage you to observe just not what he said, but how he said it. And this is true this morning. It's a fascinating story. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, when he preached in this passage, gave five sermons on it. I'm not planning to do that, nor am I planning to give a five-length sermon here this morning. And what we see Jesus doing is eating with a group of people. And, and you know, he had a thing about eating with people and eating with people that most people would not necessarily eat with, like tax collectors and people problems. And, but we find out this morning that he's willing to even to sit down with self-righteous people. And that developed him a collection of nicknames. You know, Scripture tells us they called him a friend of sinners, a drunk. Last week we learned they called him a Samaritan, and to top that off, that he had a demon, no less. They also called him a worker of Beelzebub. Beelzebub is a kind of a nice name for Satan. Of course, that came from people's perspectives and opinions that they thought were fact. But here's Jesus, who is the most innocent, pure truth and grace person that ever walked our earth that developed those kinds of nicknames. Now this setting, it's not one of contrast. We often see there's one person that opposes Jesus and one person that's for Jesus. In this setting, we see two people seeking Jesus. There's Simon. He's part of the religious cultural elites. Simon invites him into his house at a banquet. The banquet, unlike our invitations, very public. Unlike Nicodemus, he didn't do it in the dark that nobody could see. And it was a very brave choice of Simon because he knew how his party scorned Jesus. And this could end very badly for his peers and himself. Then there's the woman, and we'll talk more details later. And there's no name offered, but her description is a woman of the city and a sinner. And that's a kind way in their culture of saying that she was a prostitute. So while we may be seeking Jesus, because Simon and this woman sought Jesus, what matters is what we do with Jesus when, when we find him. And we're going to see that in this story. Luke 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at a table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. 
And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I've entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is God's word. I want to focus this morning, and again, there's different ways we could do this. I want to focus this morning on the scandal of grace. It's the kind of grace that confuses and offends. You know, religious people work hard at keeping the rules. We work hard at being holy, and we don't like it when others who haven't worked as hard and have broken a lot of the rules get the same grace as they do. Martin Luther said this. You can follow with me. He says, since the fall, our hearts have been wired with a wages mentality. We only get what we deserve. We are worth however well we perform. If we do a good thing, we get good outcomes. So if someone does a bad thing and get good outcomes, well, that's insulting. But that is the economy of grace. Think of it this way. If God does not relate to us, all of us, with grace, none of us would have any hope. We should thank God that he receives, forgives, and embraces sinners because that is all any of us are. And it doesn't matter the amount of debt. We're going to see this in a moment. It doesn't matter whether it's 50 or 500. It's a debt that we can't pay. So we see in this story, he's invited to a public dinner. When you see the setting, and I looked at several pictures this past week portraying this, in this setting, there's open doors all around. And they're lounging at tables. It's kind of a couch that you lean in and on one elbow sit at the table and your feet are out behind you. And it's a feast. And people from the outside can be outside the doors. They can come inside the doors because they're there to listen. So we have people coming in. And this woman, who was not an invited guest, and yet she was not an intruder. But evidently she feels safe enough, or maybe desperate enough, we don't know, to approach Jesus. And his acceptance of her act of worship really illustrates this whole scandal of grace. Now, it doesn't mean that he affirmed her lifestyle choices. It doesn't mean that he was content to leave her as she was. See, in our culture, there's two kind of 
choices we make when we run into people. doesn't matter who, but there's two choices we make. This is cultural. We affirm, we agree with them, or we alienate. We, don't, we say, don't talk to me. Don't associate with me because, and there's a whole list of reasons why we alienate people. But see, Jesus introduces a third choice. It's the choice of truth and grace. And so we have this woman of the city, a sinner, and she weeps. She kneels down. She undoes her hair to dry his feet. And when you study their culture, no woman in public would undo her hair. That's a very big sacrilegious. It's just you don't do it, okay? So for her, it was humiliating to do that. She washes his feet. She dries his feet with her hair. She kisses his feet. And then she takes this alabaster jar and pours out the oil on his feet. Now, now these jars in, in their day were actually, a, you might say it's a status symbol. They wore them around their neck. And for her, it was part of her trade. It was part of her, you might say, business card. And usually about a year's salary was in those jars. But the neck was so thin, the only way to get the oil out is to break the neck. And after you break the neck, it's useless. It's gone. So she was giving Jesus everything that defined her. And we have to view this as an act of surrender. And she did not run. It's so easy to run, isn't it? It took incredible courage for her to do this. It was outrageous on her part. And Simon's watching this, and he's thinking to himself, and of course, he's seeking Jesus. He's trying to figure out who Jesus is, and he's very curious. Risk enough to do a public dinner, which a lot of his peers would have condemned him for. And he's saying to himself, if Jesus really was this prophet he talks about, he's seeking information about Jesus. He would have known what type of woman was touching him. And he's probably thinking Jesus should call her out, push her away, pull away, condemn her. But see, she wanted a relationship. She was touching him. And well, that kind of creeps Simon out. See, Simon wanted direction. So Jesus responds to Simon. And by the way, if you didn't know this, it's very dangerous to think around Jesus. <laughs> and he says, I have something to say to you. And, and in my mind, I think Simon should have said, oh, he's reading my mind. Yeah, that might be one mark in the prophet column. But then always watch out when Jesus says, I have something to say. Now, up to this point, two people seeking Jesus. Response from one, a reaction from the other. And Jesus is about to tell a story. I ran across a story this past week, a youth pastor by the name of Joby Martin. He was working in North Myrtle Beach and at a church that could not pay him full time, so he took a second job and it was working at a gym. This gym was across from the Crazy Horse Gentlemen's Club. Now, the owner of the gym, being an entrepreneur, went and offered all the ladies from the Crazy Horse a free gym membership, which created a substantial increase in the men joining the gym. <laughs> During slow times, Joby would work on his Bible study for the youth or a sermon if he was preaching at the, local, at, well, at the smoothie bar inside the gym. And it was there he got to know some of the women from Crazy Horse. And here's what he says that he learned. 
He says, first of all, I learned their names really weren't Cinnamon and Bambi. <laughs> names were like Carla and Sharon. He found out none of them wanted the job they had. Most took the job thinking it was short term to get out of financial crisis they were in because of being abandoned by men. See, most had kids. And they didn't want their kids to know how they made their money. And all had to drink or take some substance before going on stage. So he would invite them to church. And one Sunday, one accepted and showed up. He said it was pretty obvious when she walked through the doors that she was not raised in the church by the way she was dressed. And at the end of the service, he was called into the pastor's office with two deacons. And they wanted to find out if Joby was the one who invited her. And he said, yes. They went on to explain that the purpose of the church was to protect its members and their children from a woman like that. Now, after the meeting, of course, he was kind of disappointed in their response. And he went to go home and he noticed that this woman was in her car in the parking lot crying. And he found out why. She, a broken woman, came into the church of Jesus, into a public meeting, into a place where everyone was invited and was further degraded, saying, we don't want you here. I've learned down through my years that sometimes good people do wrong things. And you think about Simon, he was a good person. And we have two serious seekers of Jesus. And Jesus welcomes her and rebukes him. So what's the difference? I really see three responses of Jesus. He tells a story. He responds to Simon. And then he responds to this woman. So here's the story. Let's just back up at verse 41 again. He says, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. None of which of them, now, which of them will love him more? And Simon gets the answer right. And Jesus says, you've judged rightly. And again, the point of the story is not the size of debt. Both Simon and this woman were in debt. It didn't matter how much. One was 10 times more than the other. That didn't matter. The truth was both needed forgiven. Both needed grace. See, that's the truth in grace. And Jesus turns to the woman, and you note the body language here. He turns to the woman, looks at her, and speaks to Simon. I mean, that's powerful in and of itself. Look at his body language. And he says, Simon, here's what you did not do. You gave me no water to wash my feet. She used her tears. You gave me no, now, no towel to dry my feet. That's implied. She dried my feet with her hair. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet. You did not greet me with a kiss, but she keeps kissing my feet. That's what he says to Simon while his back's to him and he's looking at this woman. Then he says in verse 47, therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. See, I think sometimes we err because we start looking at degrees of sin, not realizing all sin separates us. And our ability to speak truth and grace, 
There's a direct correlation, Jesus says, on how we view our sin and how we embrace our forgiveness. See, Simon was indebted as well, but he didn't look at it that way. See, our ability to love is in direct correlation of how we view our sin and how we view our forgiveness. And Simon felt his debt was not as large as hers, and doesn't matter, does it? All sin needs forgiveness. And Simon doesn't understand his need of a savior. See, in the story, no one could pay. Both had debt, both were lost. So that's his response to Simon. Tells the story, response to Simon, and now his response to the woman. In verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And of course, he looks at the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, go in peace, literally, because it's bad English. We don't say it this way. Jesus says, go into peace. I love that. It's not just go in peace, but it's go into peace. You can have peace. And many of you know, and all of us should know, what brokenness does to us. It does not create a peaceful situation, does it? I love that. See, he gives her an alternative path. It just wasn't enough to kind of acknowledge her and to give his grace to her. He gave her another path. Go into peace. Your debt is forgiven. It's settled. And of course, Jesus being Jesus knew her heart. He knew why she came. He knew she surrendered everything. And it's almost like she was saying this. If, if you are who you say you are, change me. I mean, the conversation that people were having brought her to him. The conversation they were saying about Jesus. And again, over here we have all the nicknames from the Pharisees, but we also had all the nicknames of the sinners. And in her own desperation, she laid everything on the line. Take my love which I pour at thy feet, its treasure store. Take myself that I may be only all for thee. Now, for some of you, that's very familiar. It's a hymn called Take My Life and Let It Be. And that verse was written based upon this text. I had to think this past week telling the story, what should it produce in us? And of course, we could talk about what it produced in Simon, what it produced in this woman. And I'm going to lean towards what it produced in the woman because I think that was an appropriate response. The first thing it teaches us is about worship. It's unashamed worship. And that was so different than Simon's. I mean, he was kind of just creeped out that this woman would come and fall at his feet and do these things. And along comes Jesus saying, you know what? Yeah, I want you to wash my feet too. I want you in full surrender to kiss my feet, to put oil on them because she comes in unashamed worship. She just lays it all out. But Simon's offended. She came in complete abandonment 
and falls at his feet. She surrendered. I know we talk about surrender so often because that's at the point where brokenness can change. It's where God's grace can enter in. It's when we surrender. I have to tell you, as I was looking at this past week, I'm still confused why in America we have what's called worship wars. I just don't get it. Worship wars come out of selfishness, out of consumers, not participants. So one of the responses I see here is that we have to participate in worship. We have to be desperate enough to fall at his feet and do things that, well, it might offend other people because they're saying, that's a little crazy, the woman's kissing his feet. I know when I first read that, I'm kind of like, ooh, you know? Number two, it's acceptance of others. It's seeing people that are made in the image of God. I mean, she walked into this house. She knew that many there would not accept her. She knew that many would judge her. Some of them may have been her clients, but Jesus welcomes her. He gives her the truth of forgiveness that she so desperately desired. And now she has the ability to love that she did not have before. So I see in this passage, we have this whole unashamed worship. We have this embracing people around us. Doesn't mean we approve their behaviors, but it means we walk with them. And then three, extravagant generosity. She gave up her identity and her wealth. And she became a steward of God's grace in and through her. I know many times we have no concept of the cost. Extravagant generosity of Jesus. Think about that. Jesus here, through him forgiving her, says, I will pay your debt. Henry Nowen says this. Only in the context of grace can we face our sin. Only in the place of healing do we dare show our wounds. Only in a single-minded attention to Christ can we give up our longing fears and face our own true nature. How many times do we sing grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin? As great as our sin is, whether you're the 50 or the 500 in debt, his grace is larger. Amen? Amen. It's where we find release of guilt and shame. It's... And Jesus gave this woman the ability to love that she didn't have before. And that's what people long for. They, they long for the ability to be loved, but also to love. We looked at that last week. So here's how we're going to close this morning. I'm going to call the worship team up. And we're going to take an extended time in closing. And you hear me say all the time, everyone has a story. And we all do. And I'm curious this morning because some of you that are here this morning have similar stories to this woman. I know some of your stories. Some of you have similar stories to Simon. And maybe some of your stories are the people watching on and just seeing this encounter. But what we have to understand is that every single one of our stories carries with it baggage. You know what baggage is called? It's called sin. Simon was raised in a religious environment, probably had two parents, taught well, and that's a privilege. And it's a privilege for those of us that were raised in that environment. And, and others, they didn't have that privilege. 
Their home situations are, well, just were unthinkable. So no matter where you're at, no matter who you identify with this story, you can worship at the feet of Jesus and he will accept you. And he will bring his extravagant generosity of grace into your life. Now, in a moment, we're going to sing a song together. It's called Come to the Altar. And for us this morning, it's the place down front here. As we sing that, it's going to go back from vocals to just live music. We invite you to come and pray. And we invite you to come and pray with those that are at the altar. So we're not going to identify those that want prayer and those that need prayer. When you see someone come, you want to come and pray, just do that. We do this on occasion. So we invite you to come and pray. Now, you may want to come and invite Jesus into your life. You're sitting there saying, you know, that, that's something new to me. I've never done that. I've never done what this woman has done that, okay, Jesus, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to rescue me. If that is your desire this morning, I'm going to be off here over this side of the altar. I'm going to ask you to come to me so I know why you need the prayer, okay? Just come, and we're going to settle that right now. Others? It may bring your sins and confess before God. Others, it may bring your pain for a self or a loved one. But we're just going to take some time to close and worship God through prayer before him. So as we sing, come. And after a season, Pastor Chris will close. So let's worship.